This is the Nomad Futurist Podcast, a podcast about the evolution of technology, society, and transformation. Connect with us, share your thoughts with us at nomadfuturist.com. Let's get this started. Here are Phil and Nabil. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Nomad Futurist, live from Hawaii at PTC. This is your co-host, Nabil Mahmood. This is your co-host, Philip Koblenz, live in Honolulu, Hawaii. And we are joined with Alyssa Miller today. Alyssa, thank you very much for taking the time to join us and hanging out with us in Hawaii. For starters, we are very thankful that you're a part of the Nomad Futurist Foundation and an ambassador and a partner in promoting. Long before she was a partner of the Nomad Futurist podcast, I would wake up every morning and thank God for Alyssa Miller. Just thank you for being you, Alyssa. Well, thank you. Your listeners cannot see the big smile on my face because I get to spend the morning in Honolulu talking to you beautiful people. So thank you for having me today. Let's get to know you a little bit more for our audience. Could you tell us a little bit about what do you do? In case in case any of our audience out there have been living under a rock for the last couple of decades, tell us who you are, Alyssa. So, well, thank you. And thank you for asking who I am. It's a rather deep story. <laughs> Shall we talk about it from the professional per- perspective? I, I, I think, <laughs> let's start professional. Yeah, start. Okay. Let's, just, let's lay the groundwork of who you are, and then we'll okay. go back to the embryonic stage. Great. So you probably just want to get to the jugular, which is I run a public relations company for the global digital infrastructure space called iMiller Public Relations, or IMPR. And I have a team of fantastic people that I work with, train, develop, and inspire, I hope, to be part of this industry, the digital infrastructure industry, through the lens of marketing and PR efforts, through messaging, through understanding the ecosystem, positioning, amplification of those messages, and everything in between. And we get to work with some of the industry's greatest and best get to channels like the Nomad Futurist podcasts and the foundation to help our clients achieve their goals, whether it's from a social responsibility or from an educational industry responsibility. And I love what I do. And I'm honored to be able to do that for this industry. You do a heck of a job. So thank you. There's a lot of marketing hype. We'll get into that as the messaging and what's real, what's hype. But before we get started, you know, what really struck me is that you've got a degree in English and how did you get into the space? I mean, what was that transition to get when, into the when tech you were, when sector? You were, when you were a little girl, did, did you say, when I grow up, I want to be... An a, opera a, singer. I want Is that what, was that what it was? You want to be an opera singer? That's what it was. Can we, can we get one note? Can you? What do you have? Ave Maria. My wow. goodness. I think there's still a possibility for that to become a, a second career option. If PR doesn't work out for me, I might go back into that. I don't know. I wish we had video because just the, the vibrato on that, on, on your that bottom, on your bottom amazing. lip, right? Yeah. It's pretty good. Amazing. I said goose Right, right. I saw a tear. I saw a tear <laughs> yeah. form. Yeah, almost. Eye. Yeah. <laughs> so clearly you wanted to be an opera singer. You, you did not have eyes on being the, the, the queen of PR, not to steal an Amy Marxism. The queen of PR for the global digital infrastructure space. No, I did not. Though I did play office really well with my siblings in the basement. My grandmother was a bookkeeper and would take the office supplies home and, and allow us to play 
in the basement, which was great. So I always wanted to pretend I was <laughs> working in the office. Is that kind of what I'm doing now? Uh, I, I mean, these days, I have no idea. You're, you're, you're pretty nomadic, right? So I'm not sure. Your office is where you office, are. Yeah. Right. So how did they get into this? All right. So here's here's the truth. I really loved singing and being a performer. However, I realized as I was in school and going through this process that as a singer, a performer, you really are someone else's instrument. You're somebody else to do. You have to learn the music and you get to be expression full when you are in that. But you're told where to stand. You're told where to go. Right. It's other people's decisions about you and your life. And if you know a little bit about me, I like to be in control of my own life. And so that didn't work out for me. So I had quickly an existential crisis trying to figure out who I was going to be. So what's the best thing to do is switch your major, stay at the same school. And was your major was your major in music, English writing and lit. it was I was a voice performer as a banger and oh, I changed gosh. to wow. English writing and lit. And, and, and why did you pick up English writing and literature? I had no idea what I wanted to do after yeah. I figured out I didn't want to be the opera singer I thought I wanted to be my entire life. I mean, it was like throwing a dart at the wall. I mean, it makes sense, right? The singing is how you expressed yourself. What better way to express yourself? I was always a good writing? writer. I was a good creative writer. I was a good performer, a theater person, right, in school. And so it was it was a place for me to go. And the funny thing about it is when I did change my major, I did well, except for medieval English literature. That was my nemesis. And I had a hard time graduating on time because I did not pass that with enough of a grade to have that qualify for my major. So that was the one class that held me back from graduating in the May timeframe. I literally had to take summer course to graduate in August. All right, we're going to visit. We're going to visit medieval times and in, 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 yes. in Jersey one of these days, <laughs> and we're gonna we're gonna try to make sure that some of those remedial medieval writing classes paid yeah. off. Yeah, yeah. Is that so, vows and stuff? I don't even know what. Yeah, what yeah. Thou shall. <laughs> yes. Thou shalt okay. not pass. So, so now you graduated from college with a degree in English and English literature. How did you get into the tech space? What was that transition or journey like? Right. So again, my journey going into the workforce was I did not want to work in a corporate environment. I was too creative, right? So I had a hard time finding a job, but I, a graphic design recruiting company rec recruited me. I don't want to date date you, but what is the data center like a, a big thing at that point? Absolutely <laughs> not. I, we didn't even know what the internet was, barely. I mean, I was on BitNet in the computer room Right, writing out instant relay chat. Right, I was one of the computer geeks in in the computer right. room. So there was a yeah. little hint. I, there was a hint. There was a hint. I had an interest in all that, and as a matter of fact, it was you know the early '90s at this point. And so at the graphic design recruiting firm, I did have a computer, but we weren't using that yet to log in. You know the artwork and all of that, and they were just starting out with Quark Express, right? And you know doing digital graphic design. Before so, there was a Photoshop to our listeners, there was a program, it might still be out, called Quark Express. Right. And anyway, I, I learned about design and it was at this point where businesses were trying to put in databases. So I got to literally be part of the development of the first access database that this company used, which I thought was interesting. And so after three and a half years, having a heart-to-heart -heart conversation with the owner of the firm who told me, that because I was not a trained designer, that I have pretty much to hit my limit 
where I would go in her firm because she was looking for people from the graphic design industry. I said, fine, I'll go to the other side. And I found this guy who hired me to be a recruiter and help him build an access database for his IT recruiting company. So you were basically OG. OG. Before yeah. there was ever a Jerry Martino. Yeah. That was exactly. nice yeah. yeah. So I learned <laughs> recruiting as a skill first, right? How to identify and qualify people for jobs. Is this, all, is this in New York? All in New York. And I built this access database for this guy, Dan. And then I told him, I don't know who I am anymore. I quit. And I quit. I got up and quit after working for him for six months. And I, I took the summer off and I... I did, I did cold calling for the New York City Ballet Guild. I figured my dad's not going to be so mad at me if I do something that's okay with my time. So I got a telephone call job, right? And every night I had to dial for dollars, right? And the Glenn, the Glenn Gary, Glenn, Glenn, yes. Glenn, Glenn Gary, Glenn And Ross. they trained me how to do telephone sales, which by the way is a phenomenal skill. If you ever yeah. Oh my God, it's a, it is a, it is a, it is a hard, it's phenomenal a hard one to master. It's a hard and one to master. After her, right, that entire summary, I got to win all of these, you know, tickets to go see ballet, which I really didn't care about. But it was fun to be able to have that as a skill, right? A, a telephone sales skill. Amazing. Do yeah. That? yeah. I mean, I'm looking back on it now. It makes total sense. I, I knew you could do it. So that's not how I really got into telephony. It's when Dan called me after that summer and said, hey. I have something for you. I know you're looking for a career and I have an opening. Dan was the recruiter. The, the recruiter. recruiter. Yeah. So I entertained it and he had shared an office with a consultant who just took a package from IDB WorldCom. He was the head of international business development and he was an engineer by trade. And the 1996 Telecommunications Act had just passed and he was providing consulting services to companies who were looking, you know, do business development, start new types of businesses, raise money, capital, all of that type of stuff. And he wanted his daughter to get into the industry. She didn't. So the next one came in. Wow. It was me. And I said, okay, if you, if you are saying what you're saying, that this is the industry that is the future, I want in and I want to be able to learn something. So I'm going to rely on you to help train me. I will do your executive assistant work. I will write your reports. I will do your billing. I will learn the business. You know, you tell me what I need to know. And he invited me to every single executive meeting. I took every single note I needed to. I asked him about every single nuance of discussion afterwards. I read every book, all the telegeography books we bought for our clients went through me because I had to read them first. So you found a mentor very early on in your career. That was the very first and only thing I knew how to get in this industry was through a mentor. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's one of the challenges with a guy in space. Right. I mean, not, there aren't that many, I think, particularly on an executive level, I think, look, so much of what what made us, you know, as as from a, as the kind of pioneers of the space, if you will, is right place at the right time, right? It was 96 and all that. I think one of the problems that that we we try to highlight is the fact that there aren't enough people that are taking, you know, young folks, you know, people that might not necessarily have their own pathway to let's quote Hamilton, the room where it happens and, and, and going in there. And, you know, to a certain extent, you know, you learn by doing, you learn by osmosis, you learn through experience. Maria Montessori says that, right? So I think the, just, just being in those rooms is, is just so valuable if you have, 
you know, the right kind of curious mind to, uh, to sell. And curious mind is it, right? And so that's the number one thing that I tell anybody, just be curious. The more curious you are, the more you realize how curious you can be, right? It becomes that cycle or it's the never ending. You should never be stumped with questions to ask if you have a curious right. Well, part of it is is also, you know, trying to find your path in where what you do for work is something that truly interests you. You know, it's easy to be curious about something that you enjoy. You can't force it, though. It has to be, you know, something that, that you like. And I think part of the problem with our industry is that, you know, from the outside looking in, it's so tech when in reality, there are so many paths in our industry that aren't necessarily, you know, designed for people that have a technical mind. They have, there, there's plenty that you can do, you know, with a creative mind as well. Absolutely. And that is a huge message. Listen, it's easy to be intimidated by the jargon, you know, by the tech speak. By Says the, the woman that invented all the jargon. Well, she, I think she's cleaning the jargon. <laughs> it's it's easy, but I think it's because people underestimate themselves. Mm-hmm. Once you figure out how to think about it, it, it unlocks the ability to understand the concepts. And that's one of the things that I actually do with my team and I love to do with my team. One And, you know, announced today that my commitment, I'm doubling down on that professional development commitment to my team giving them, you know, access to tools, resources and information, opening doors for them, right, that they can go through and take the opportunity to learn just like I did. I didn't do it because somebody stuffed the information in my head. I did it because I wanted that in my head. I wanted to understand it and I wanted to be able to articulate that. And it also makes total sense because I will let Bill speak at some point. It also makes total sense that, you know, as a business owner in this industry in particular, I mean, there is there is also a benefit to you, to your brand, to empower your you know employees to be able to do your job so you can focus your efforts on the bigger picture, the strategy and pursuing the things that interest you as your career evolves. And I think in, you know, the larger kind of corporate environments that tend to run a lot of the REITs and data centers. There's so many fiefdoms within those those environments that it becomes difficult to have that same type of methodology where, you know, people are trying to bring people up because they feel, you know, like maybe their role is going to be, you know, at risk by empowering others when in reality, you know, it's incumbent upon all of these companies to help, you know, bring bring the next generation along. Don't get me wrong. My role is at risk. You've seen some of the people that that I have gone through my company who now are in phenomenal roles of their own, well-earned no, in their own no right. No question, but that's a badge um, of honor, right? right and those people become your biggest, well, your biggest clients. Well, <laughs> there, there is that opportunity. My door is open to them, but if they're smarter than me, then they don't need me. Right. <laughs> but then, I mean, free. it's like you're giving back in all ways. Right. So, so, so going back just for a bit, you found a mentor. At this point in time, did you know that that was your passion? That was the, the journey where you're going to take? So... Yeah, I made the commitment to learn the industry. I got sold on the idea that I had the ability to walk into this warped new industry right at the front end of it. And it was mine to make or break. As a matter of fact, I came there in my family. There are very successful people in the music industry. So I grew up in a family, literally people serving rock stars, right? And understanding that rock star lifestyle and talking about that. And while I was an opera singer, right, 
you know, there was always an opportunity for me to, you know, maybe, right, go to the music producer and say, hey, can you help me out? But I didn't want that, right? I wanted to make it on my own. But I realized, and this is interesting, that to be a rock star, you could be a rock star in anything you do. You don't have to be a musician to be a rock star. You don't have to be anything except be the best at what you do. And then you are a rock star. And when I made that decision in my head, I didn't want to be an opera singer and that kind of diva. I made the decision to be really smart at something and I wanted to be the best at what I wanted to do. Um, remarking here at, at PTC, it's really, it's great because you have the subsea folks, you have the data center folks, you have the networking folks. The telecommunications, um, real right. estate, capital. VCs All of those be, different yeah. points of our industry right, intersect, but very few people understand the nuances of each of them. And I've worked in every single side of those and have relationships and a deep understanding in all three sides of that and why and how it comes together and the importance. That's the knowledge I purposely sought out to learn of how do I create an ecosystem of information that I could then turn that into something. I worked at a consulting firm as my first job. I knew I had to get experience in the industry to be a very good consultant. If you don't know the industry you're working on because you haven't worked in it, you can't really work the magic of it. So I purposely designed my career so that I could be a better consultant by understanding how the industry works. I mean, works. you know, what's, what's rare is like people, I mean, look, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? But were you, were you, consciously making those decisions. I think people sometimes fail to feed the, see the forest for the trees or whatever that phrase is and have a 30,000 foot view of where their careers are and just try to get through the day. I'm not going to lie. I per It was once I figured out I wanted to be in the industry, right, after working with David, who was my initial mentor, I sat with him and the same promise I'm giving to my team to sit with them. They're going to tell me what they want. I'm going to tell them how they can create that path in the industry. He did that for me. Yeah. So, I mean, just out of curiosity, now it's probably a little bit different than it was before when we start our careers. Like we fell into the space pure accident. You are not from the space. You go in the space and you found a mentor. Barely Nobody was from the space. The space didn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there, there's different stories. She no found question. a mentor in the industry for an industry that we did not know how big it was going to get. Of course. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there are all sorts of articles I, I in, we in 99, the internet is dead. You know, it's a, exactly. when the bubble burst, they were like, yeah. uh, this was, we told you it was just a gimmick. Exactly. So if it was real estate or finance or any other vertical, that would have probably been easy to trust somebody and say, okay, this is the future. How did you commit to, or how did you get so inspired that you were willing to commit to making, well, making that, the That's transition? my DNA too, right? Remember in college, I was on the BitNet. I did internet relay chat. I was one of five people in the computer she room. She was eating was the dog food. She was eating it the was dog food. It was, across from the, it was across from the laundry room, right? So, you know, at midnight when I decided to do laundry because I didn't want to see anybody else's dirty underwear. I don't want them to see mine, right? I, would I, think, we, I think we found the title well, of the podcast. Exactly. Right? And and so, so, dirty <laughs> while I was doing laundry, seeing people laughing at a computer screen intrigued me. And I would go in and see what they were doing and what was going on. And I quickly learned about this BitNet system, right? And all of the universities being connected by this thing called the internet. And you had to type in this, you know, massive code and, you know, know who you were and 
how do you get that ID? And they taught me how to do that. And so then I, I got addicted, right? Because yeah. what do they call it, right? It's addicting, these right. devices. So it's, Although I'm not goes, sure, I'm not sure to my kids, 10 and 6, for those listeners that, that don't already know I that. Got I'm not sure that they would be addicted to the same kind of text-based thing that you saw. So it's all about context, right? If they, right? If that's all they had, yeah, right? right? And, and I was really curious because I, technology was intriguing to me. My father was an engineer, so he worked on the Patriot missile. Like it was all just very interesting. So there's all these connection points. And we talk about it all the time with exposure, experience, education, and opportunities. I mean, that's really the core of it. There was a connecting point that, that led you to believe in the platform and the industry that this was going to be the state of the art in the future. Okay. Mm-hmm. So now, did you go into the corporate world after that? That uh, was 96, right? 96 year. You're, 96 you're, to, to 99. I So <laughs> David and I, he, he built that business really well. I think at some point we had 12 different clients and I ended up going to work for two of them directly. One was Ericsson. And this is a big thing that I encourage a lot of young people that I work with. Go to a big company at least once. When I went to Ericsson, I was young. I was given a great opportunity to help open up their wholesale office in New York, running marketing for them out of New York. But I had to go through their training program first. And so I spent seven weeks in Richardson, Texas, just to go through, right? What all the policies, the procedures from sales training to, you know, ISO certification and, you know, naming of files and processes and procedures and how to's and all that stuff. I loved it. It gave me the exposure to the organization structure that's required to operate business, right? How do you harness thousands, tens of thousands of people, right, to work in a manner that gets the company results? That was the baseline of it and gave me the the true appreciation for company structure. And from there, every company that does not have that structure frustrated the heck out of me because I get you get spoiled, right? Absolutely. When you know how to work, right? It makes it easier. And so when I started my company, I started it with structure. So, so you went. I mean, you stayed in the corporate, the Ameri- yeah. the, the, the corporate world for what, like ten years? Yes, yeah, so I I jumped around a little bit. Um, Ericsson, that was a great experience, but they wanted me to move to Richardson, and I I'm a New Yorker. Right, wasn't going to do that. It'd be I'm so exotic in Richardson, though. I can only imagine. <laughs> and then I went and worked for a small company selling co-location space. In New York. Across Don't from, knock it if you haven't tried it. Across from Penn Station. And they were a, a reseller of AT&Ts. And so they had, you know, Colo next to them, you know, to the switch, right? So that it could be, you know, nearby. I didn't realize how many people I knew, right? From David and my experience there that I was able to harness that and sell space. They got sold six months later. And I got a phone call from someone I was in the midst of a deal with saying that the deal is off the table because he just accepted a job at Bandex. And I went, the bandwidth exchange out of London? You're going to London? He said, no, they just opened up an office in New York. He said, great. Who's the CEO? I want to go work for Bandex. So I called the CEO and said, I want to come work for you. And it was Jamie Martino at the time. And Jamie said, what are you going to- that cold calling talent that you learned. Yeah. It's like- all the what are you, what are you, Hello, my name is Alyssa Miller. What are you selling? I'm selling Alyssa Miller. What are you going to do for me? I said, I don't know. Like, I'll do business development marketing. Well, right. Right. So I got hired. And at Bandex, I ended up running sales and marketing before the company sold to Arbonne. 
in 2000. And so, yeah, that's I ended up getting jobs and I went back to big company Telstra. I did work at Telstra product management out of North America. I had responsibility for products, which phenomenal experience because product has to work with every department, has to commercialize, you know, write it, develop it, bring it to market, you know, operationalize it. And you have to it. listen to clients and determine what what, what products are relevant, right? Yeah. It's a totally um, different skill set. By far one of my favorite jobs. Telstra was a great company to work for. So I mean, a, a lesson that I've learned so far about you is that you've created your own opportunities, carved your own way. And yeah, the corporate culture is, is good to a certain degree, whereby you can have a good foundation and, and work in the bureaucracy and complexity of the equation, but it also gives you an opportunity to interact with people and learn from what's going to work or what's not going to work and, and be able to sell that. I, you started your own organization, working for a large enterprise and then taking the risk to be an entrepreneur. What was that transition like and what drove you to do that? I didn't know what I was going to do at that point. I was given an opportunity to partner with a another PR person in their firm. She was getting ready to go get married. It's going to be on her honeymoon for a month and needed somebody to look after her business. So I was a telex at the time, working with the team over there. Love those guys. And I still am honored to call many of them friends, clients, comrades in arms. But I'm not going to lie, right? Being in this space and being amongst the executive committee team members, it can be really tough. And at that point, how I don't even know how old I was. It was maybe, I was barely 30, you know, 31 maybe. And so being young, right, it was overwhelming and I needed to make a change. I knew I knew stuff, but I didn't know how much I didn't know, right, as we all do. So this opportunity came for me to look after the business and grow this small little PR firm and see what happens. And so she went and got married and came back and Oh, behold, we have five clients, friends of mine, you know, found out where I went and wanted to come work with us. So I helped work. I helped build that business for three and a half, almost four years until one day on a surprise phone call, I got promoted to be CEO of my own company. And I am forever grateful because I don't know that I would have founded I Miller Public Relations if I did not have that former partner promote me to be the CEO of my own company. What was that former partner's name? Her name is Jamie. I think we can say thank you, Jamie. Yeah. I thank Jamie every day. That is my gratitude because the truth is I probably didn't believe enough in myself at that time, but by making that decision showed me that I should, right? That, that said, ah, there's something here you might want to pay a little bit more closer attention to. So thank you. You've done a phenomenal job, like in everything that you've done, everything you've touched has turned into be gold. And uh, you know, the, the coolest thing I like about you on a personal note is that you simplify it. You eradicate the hype that's created by a lot of other marketeers, which is false in a lot of ways. And it's great to see that foundationally, you're strong enough. You've got the knowledge base. You've been there, you've done that, you've touched it. And, you know, just, just you sharing the journey, you've touched pretty much every single element and component of this industry in some capacity, whether it be marketing or product development or 
sales. I didn't know that you could do telesales. I mean, this, this I, really I'm amazing. not surprised. The one thing I've learned is that if you say I am PR, it means I am PR. I think I just learned that. I, I, mean, I just, might have just, just learned that. Just the name and it's just the name. She is. She is PR. Did you change your name to Alyssa Miller? Was it just, it's happened. It's, it, it just happened. It all just fell. It all just fell. In the, oh my God. Right it's amazing. Yeah, well, there's a reason for everything. <laughs> clearly. Yeah. Clearly. So, What's the latest and greatest? What What do you think about the industry where we're at today? What What are some of the challenges that we've got to address on a go forward basis? I want to answer that question in the context of marketing and in the context of what you just talked about, right? The hyperbole of it. So, as we get older, right, and and it's interesting because I getting older, it's almost like, oh my god, I was so stupid then, right? How how did I know that, right? What we do, a lot of what we do, right, is you have to be rooted in facts first, but we remember things through storytelling. And so being able to tell a story that's memorable, right, and full of facts and information, right, enough that somebody feels something from that, that's the magic of true marketing and PR. Where we get confused is the forceful manipulation of those feelings, right? It used to be called, and it still is to this day, putting lipstick on a pig for a specific reason. It's because you know that pig is wearing lipstick and you know it smells on the other side of that, right? And it may <laughs> not be so good, but for some reason, where we as society, we've been so trained, right, through advertising and everything else, right, that, that's put out there. Think of it as propaganda, our brains are so trained to look at that and look at that again, right? But as I mentioned, I'm getting older and as getting older, I'm getting a little bit wiser and I'm realizing that those who are also getting older and wiser see right through that. That's no longer something that you can pull the wool over people's eyes and have them believe. And so you have to be honest. You have to be direct. You have to be crystal clear. And nothing is perfect because these companies are run by humans. Mm -hmm. We're not yet having them run by machines, not yet. And so because of that, the expectation is that they will make mistakes. It's how they work through those mistakes, right, that matter and showing the human side of it. And, you know, full disclosure, you know, me, my team, we're not perfect. We're humans. But addressing that out the gate and making sure that those who interact realize that there is accountability and ownership to that, super important. And those same ideas can translate into communication programs. And that's what I try to do. So, you know, I'm, you know, you try to crystallize, I mean, you're in marketing, right? You try to crystallize all of these things into like a word or two because the attention span of the human race has dwindled to almost nothing. And all I'm feeling as you talk and what I've always, as you talk, is authenticity. You can't teach authenticity. It's about allowing yourself to be vulnerable. It's about, you know, not putting on, you know, the lipstick kind of pig thing is just this veneer of not dishonesty so much because I don't think it's necessarily malicious. It's just like there, there is an element. Look, life is a confidence game and sometimes you got to fake it till you make it. But at your core, you have to be able to explain what drives you, whether it's about selling yourself or selling a product, like what is the reason behind it? Don't lie to me about, you know, why it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Just what, what value might I receive? Just like that question that the Bandex CEO asked you, like, what are you going to do for me? Right. Is really at the core of what all of us should be doing, not just in our careers. It's just, you know, that that authenticity should transcend 
you know, the, the professional world and just follow you where it's an excellent trade for, for a politician. It's just, it's in, in, well, impressively so rare <laughs> and, and uh, incredibly rare. But yeah, I mean, authenticity, you can't teach that. Yeah. Do you step back in time ever and just imagine what would you do if you knew what you know today or how would life be? Ave Maria. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, you're pretty good. I was, I was, I was just inspired. So it, it's funny. I was I was chatting with somebody earlier today on the East Coast because so, I was up early. And what kept coming up in the conversation was this. I didn't even know that that was an option. <laughs> like, you know, everything is, if, if I look back, I would never have imagined I would be where I am. I could, my imagination didn't even have any of this in its mind. I could not have well intended that because my mind is too feeble and small to think that way. And so I'm working on my own personal practice of surrendering because I think if I predetermine where I need to go, that underestimates my capabilities. And I'm learning that, which is really a weird thing. And which mm -hmm. is why I really like being able to pass on some of what I'm learning about myself in this world, in this business to others through the professional development program. Because if I tried to go to that next level for myself, I have no idea where that would be. So let me sit where I'm at, relish in this, feel accomplished, help others achieve what they would like for themselves and let the universe open up what it will show me. Uh, that fits in with what we're trying to accomplish, be transparent, share vision. That's why and we're here. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, Alyssa, we can't really thank you enough for everything that you have been doing for us. And but we can try. Thank you. <laughs> I, I wish we, we were recording this on, on video. Yeah, yeah. That's, one, that, one day, one day we'll be yeah. able to afford the camera. But the look, what you've done is incredible. I joke sometimes because that's... It's, it's the way I show love that, you know, it's the reason why people get frustrated with marketing speak in the cloud, the edge, you know, because of, you know, words you invented, you know, the way you've articulated our, our, our industry comes from, you know, such a such an impressive contextual place that I think uh, you make the world a better place, Alyssa. So thank you. My gosh. Well, that's quite a bit. Thank you. <laughs> wow. Thank you. Much gratitude. This has been great. Nothing lasts forever. Markets will come back, currencies will rebound, businesses will go on, and we'll all move on. That could happen next week, next month, or next year. I'm confident that those who prepare rather than panic will come out of this stronger. Thank you for joining us. This has been brought to you by Nomad Futurist. Check us online at nomadfuturist.com.